Hello, and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Engel. And I'm Jason Hack, back with you for another week. And we're going to lead that week off with Minute 126, which begins with a spectacular mushroom cloud erupting from the surface of LV-426 and ends with Bishop tenderly telling Ripley that they will need a stretcher to carry Hicks up to medical. Well, uh, he went a little off script there. I guess that's fine. Thanks. I said tenderly. I inserted tenderly. You uh, uh, spectacular mushroom cloud. It, oh, let's let's. Exploding. You know what? Who does them? Who does them better than Cameron? Come on, T two. This he does mushroom clouds, and they are spectacular. What did he say about forty megatons? And then what he said forty megatons worth when that reactor goes. You know the biggest bomb ever exploded on Earth, the Tsar Bomba was like 55 megatons. So that's just like, you can't even imagine the power of 40 megatons. It's huge. It's Nebraska, as Bishop said. Yeah, well, I slaved over the script for this episode. No, um, you phoned it in. You phoned it in. It might as well have been a script from Alice. And a, a shitty, a, like non-sweeps Alice, too, where just like Vic has to deal with maybe like his deadbeat brother shows up at the diner or something. Not a good Alice. Alice. Yeah, Alice isn't even in the episode. She's- right, it's mostly focuses on Flo, and, you know, she's going to hit Kiss My Grits a couple times, kind of touch on it, and then, you know, st- stay tuned for your local news. That's it. Yeah. Okay, so, fair enough. So I gave it a little vim, vigor, and vitality. I did this for the audience. I didn't phone it in. Yeah, he made it a little purple. In my a opinion. little. <laughs> a little whiff of Armand White, perhaps. <laughs> yes, a little bit. <laughs> um, all right, so... Yeah, Jason, you're back. Uh, you're right in the middle of some, well, you're actually right in the middle of kind of the resolution of the action on LV-426. I guess it is the resolution. Of the it action. is. It is. Since LV-426 doesn't exist anymore, I guess. I mean, are we thinking that, I mean, that doesn't decimate the entire planet. I mean, perhaps a nuclear winter kind of situation, but um, the planet's still standing there. It's not like the Death Star got it. Thing, no, we don't need a, you know, there's no Praxis you know, wave blowing oh. out from, from the entirety of the planet. But uh, 40 megatons on a, a small planet like LV-426 is not insignificant. However, add in, of course, that we're only 57 years. Well, we don't even know 57. What do you say? Uh, how long have the colonists been doing the Terraform? 20 years? Mm, I can't. Sorry, folks. I can't remember. Okay, long, so long. so let's just say that that there's still a pretty thin atmosphere, a lot of wind. Hopefully, the fallout is going to be dissipated. But in any case, there's certainly no company assets worth mentioning left on uh, LV-426. If those are gone. Those are glassed. Those are in a crater a mile and a half deep. Well, that's just it. Didn't they just kind of send LV-426 back to where it came from? They undid any atmospheric processing that was done and... It's basically going to be just like it was when the Nostromo landed there, right? Probably. Well, but did they really undo the atmospheric processing, right? It's yeah, he, you know, it's, he said it takes, what we know from Van Leeuwen is it takes decades and it's been going for a couple of decades. So maybe when he says decades, does he mean two decades? Does he mean four? Does he mean seven? So maybe if they want to land on the other side of LV-426 and plop a colony down and start doing the old shake and bake routine, but you know, one thing I never really understood is why plop a colony there? Is it just because it's sort of habitable? Because there don't seem to be a ton of resources there. There's no resource gathering operation. The colony seems to exist simply to support the atmosphere processors. So it's like, are they thinking there's going to be agriculture on this world? Like, why do they, why do they want it? 
I think that's the idea. It's real estate. It's future real estate. You're yeah. investing in the future. If you can go, if you can, you know, stick your flag in a planet and then you bring in the atmospheric processors, you own the planet, you turn it into an earth-like planet, you own an entire planet. That's a, that's the future of your company is probably, you know, at least that section of the, that department of the company is out there trying to, to, to create real estate to own. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, so. they take the long game. I, I get that. And, and yeah, it seems like the mega corporations in the, at this point are definitely are taking the long game, which is why, you know, trying to capture control the Xenos seems like such a, a nasty shortcut, right? Like everybody is taking the long game. You have Japanese and European and American combines, you know, building all these colonies further and further and further, deeper and deeper and deeper. And everybody kind of in sort of a corporate cold war. Uh, and then the Xenos would be like this quantum leap, like in introducing, you know, a, a super weapon. Unfortunately, those are, uh, those are all blasted into glass as well. There's none left. It's gone. Yeah. And of course your questions about colonization, like what, what, why to pick a planet, you know, over another planet, if there's any sort of resources to mine, of course, in Outland, they have that, you know, they're there for a reason. Yeah, right? Titanium. They're, seriously. Yeah. That's, that's, that's well, pretty it's limp. A reason. It's a reason. It's pretty limp. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe titanium is worth more than uh, right. titanium like, though. I mean, if you're going to set up a mining outpost, a bazillion miles from earth, don't you want something that's a little compact for transport? Sure. Really, I was just trying to uh, I was trying to bait you into talking about the kid from Outland again. I don't want to do it. For, I don't want to do okay. it. You know, I, your That's audience fine. has had enough. That pig-faced, little nasty, saccharine, <laughs> trash-ass, wretched yeah. actor. Awful. Yeah. Uh, awful. Okay. <laughs> I love Good. you, John. I, I, I love I just, you, I, to... I love you, too, Paul. Kiss mommy for me. I love you, Daddy. I feel sick, Paul. I, I feel sick. Yeah, that's exactly what would happen. And like, you know what? Marshall William O'Neill's like, you know what? I'm just going to send you and mommy onto Earth. You know, you're going to love it. Many, many nice things to see. And um, I think I'm just going to put in to have my tour. I'm going to re-up here on IO. I think I'm just going just gonna to stay here. And uh, Paul, your transmission is breaking up. Daddy. Yeah, that's it. Good? That's it. Eat your, enjoy your hot corn mash, you pig faced little. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, back on task here. So well, we have dropship number two lifting off, mm-hmm. blasting away full thrust after a colossal nuclear holocaust engulfs the colony as the reactor, as the atmospheric processor goes up, the fusion reactor, as Carter Burke promised. Uh, and all because. Vasquez gave her herself and 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 Drake the the little batteries for their smart guns. They did it. They they actually damaged the so atmosphere processor. So you're convinced that that's what this has been an ongoing conversation. And I swear you were here for some of it. That there's absolutely no evidence that that's what happened. That no one ever says that's what happened. There's no visual evidence that, that that's what happened. We actually don't know what happened. Well, to but we were told. Processor. We, what were we told? We can't have any firing in there. They'll rupture yep. the primary cooling unit. Whoa, whoa, mm-hmm. whoa. It's so dangerous that he doesn't just say, please don't fire. He says, collect ammunition. That's how serious it is. Yep. Well, guess what? We have two smart guns that are essentially emptied during mm-hmm. the escape from the nest. 
And you can't tell me that 10 millimeter explosive tip caseless rounds, light armor piercing rounds, aren't going to wreak havoc on ducting and pipes that carry valuable coolant and circulate valuable coolant in a fusion reactor. I, I agree, but they did it. The text, they did it. Within, Jason, within the text of the film, yeah. no one ever says it. We never see it. And the Bishop goes out of his way to say the damage from the crash was too extensive. There's nothing we can do to stop this. No, 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 no. All he said was, I can't align the dish. No, that's before the dish starts. Discussion happens. She says, asks if there's a way to stop it. And he said the damage from the crash was too extensive. Uh, The context of what's going on. It's all muddy. I don't think anybody's ever going to agree on this, but there is no evidence that they are the ones that caused this. Except and if they the were the ones that, that caused this, somebody would say something about it, for Christ's sake. I don't know. I, well, but we've what, been talking yeah, about but, for months but now. Would they? Because they would be... Yeah. Well, no, but it's chaos. In the, in, it is chaos, the escape. And not, not only is the, there chaos the escape, there's chaos in the aftermath with the dropship crashing and destroying the APC. So, we, you know, it's it's nothing but but immediate survival. But they did exactly what they were told well, what we, the audience, were told would critically destabilize the reactor. And I'm saying it would. it's not good writing to not give us one absolute fact that backs up. You can't say this is going to happen and then go to the effect of that without showing the thing happen. I think that that's just weak. Like, we're all supposed to assume it and then nobody says anything about it. Vasquez doesn't feel bad about it. Well, Nothing. I, I, you know, I know that you have often said during this podcast that you feel that Avatar is a much more strongly written film than Aliens. And I've I, never, I've I, I what, what? I've never said anything like that. <laughs> so, look, I, I will say that the crash did plenty of damage on the surface. We know that it was a colossal explosion because of all the munitions on board the dropship. All the, the those four huge weapons pods, the the, the 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 nose gun ammunition, everything blew. And it's a colossal explosion. It really is. So we know that that does plenty of damage on the surface. But if we look at the schematic of the little triangles of the Marine team moving down the stairs, she says they're directly under the primary heat exchanger. And there's several sub-levels down. Now, weak writing or no, I think we can extrapolate from that that the two smart guns, which are the primary support heavy weapons of the squad, do damage because it's not like they're really picking targets. I mean, her first shot, her her first burst alone, she's swinging the gun in a huge arc as she just uncorks. So I think we can assume, but you're right, I think we can also write James Cameron some pretty angry letters on this one. I know you've got a stack of them, um, but let's let's say that we know for sure what happened, and we can also say that Drake and Vasquez have certainly paid the ultimate price for their mistakes anyway, although Drake's was certainly rather more gory and uh, less immediate than Vasquez's. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess this isn't a conversation I expected to get into at this point in the movie. It's already gone round and round and round. And I guess it's going to start over again on Facebook. No, 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 no. Let's just but, say that I've resolved it um, with, you know, pretty I, much infallible logic and reasoning. No. And we can also say that the effect shot of the mushroom cloud is absolutely beautiful. And I, I, I don't know how they did it, but it is. Absolutely, I do. Oh, okay. It's a, it's, 
it's just stated in the commentary that it's a um, big light bulb covered in cotton. That's it. They just lit up the cotton Wait, what? light bulb. That's and, it. Yep, that is it. They didn't know what else. They didn't have anything else they could do, so they just kind of designed cotton. You know, a, kind of a cottony, cloudy design around a light bulb. And I assume he didn't go into it further. But this is here. I'm going to assume, and I'm going to let Eric Moore correct me uh, if I'm wrong. But I assume that they then turned on the light and then. You know, ran it, ran the effect in slow motion, probably. So you're saying that, that James uh, Cameron uh, makes mushroom clouds like I made mushroom clouds for my middle school science project. Exactly. So my science fair display paid millions of dollars. Uh, mine was not as convincing, you, if I'm going to be came perfectly in, frank. Yeah, you got the consolation prize. The, at, I yeah. did get the red ribbon. I did not get blue. I did not move to the city science fair. I will. Uh, well, I was. Yeah, the mushroom cloud was pretty bad. Um, so, I really, you know, I remember when I first saw the movie. The, uh, you know, I was prepared to discount in my head the the image of the queen emerging from the elevator, um, because. This was such a colossal exclamation point to the movie. How could you not feel in this scene with their their tremendous relief with with Newt in Ripley's arms, with literally no human marines in in fighting condition, the entire team gone. But this nuclear blast that we're told is going to be the size of Nebraska, even if that is exaggerating, you know, I thought it was over. At this point, I figured they land. We, you know, there's, there's, you know, hugs, you know, maybe Bishop performs some kind of quickie wedding ceremony for Hicks and Ripley. And there's, they're officially a family. And, you know, he's like, and I also made you this robot dog as a wedding gift. And that's it. We go to credits. I thought that this was super done at this point. Really? I was going to ask you that because, okay. So I always have to ask this, and I think that you saw Alien. You saw Alien before Aliens came out, right? So you'd seen the double ending occur already in Alien. Yeah. Were you cognizant of that? Like when you were watching this, were you like, "Oh yeah, I remember how Alien ended"? No. Or were you? It was two, probably one, two times on VHS, and that's all you had stored up memory wise. Yeah. Like- yeah. I you know Alien for me it. For me, it was a very visceral experience as a as seeing it as a kid on video. And now, you know, I look at it as uh, you know, and I, and I look at the artistry, and I look at the technique, and 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 I look at the craft um, th- th- that's in it, and I realize that's what differentiates it from so much. With Aliens, seeing it as a as a gosh, what was I like sixth grade? You know, nothing to me. It, it's just the you know, it's the same summer as Top Gun, and it's this incredibly balls out amazing action movie and i even remember you know uh, newsweek writing up in like 1986 you know the rise of um, the feminine action hero talking about sigourney weaver and they called her you know rambolina and uh all this other stuff but you know i'm not thinking about alien when i see this movie i'm completely swept along um the first time in the theater um all I'm focused on is, is, oh my God, they made it. And wow, that booming James Horner music was crazy. And the countdown was crazy. And there they are. They're, they're headed home and flying away from a nuclear explosion. I mean, that's, that's amazing. That's wow. We did it. And the countdown was incredible and it really worked and it generated suspense. And, and no, I'm not thinking about alien. I'm not thinking about double endings. I'm thinking that they're fine. 
I'm thinking mission accomplished. We did it. And, you know, let's, let's pick out some school clothes for Newt and get back to earth. And boy, was I wrong. Boy, was I wrong. Yeah. The, I think one of the major differences here, because so much of this is similar, right? We're, we got Ripley flying away from a nuclear, like uh, completely obliterating the location of the aliens, you know? So, so ostensibly, uh, ostensibly she's safe. Uh, so very similar to Alien. I think one of the major differences we get here is this long lingering shot, this kind of tight two shot of her and Newt, where we get this long, like relieving moment, which I, when I'm watching this moment between the two of them, I feel like Cameron might've directed the shot, that scene, however you want to put it in a way where he's kind of hands off. I kind of feel like he put the camera on them and just let them play it out. And I imagine it played out for a while between the two of them, but there's something that feels so real about yeah, it to me. Yeah. Like there wasn't, it wasn't a, okay, now react to this. Now look up to this or any of that. It feels like they're just two people deeply relieved after intense trauma, mm-hmm. feeling safe. And this moment in the way Weaver, I, I feel like maybe Scorny Weaver is sort of, uh, She's she's directing Carrie Hinn a little bit here with her performance, right. where she's kind of staring at her and she starts to smile, and Carrie Hinn kind of gets lured over to her expression, and they meet, and everything feels so real. And then Ripley gives her that kiss on the cheek that feels so real, and is like the most motherly, like gentle motherly things uh, she's done in the whole movie up to this point. And all of that, I think, is the is what might set it apart in a way, just for a moment, to lure you away from any suspicion that you might be getting a very similar ending to what you had with alien. Cause that none of that, you know, it just feels so different and it feels so real that sometimes when you see a real moment between two characters, it'll make you, you know, you'll get lost in the movie. You'll yeah. forget about the machinations yeah. of the film. And I think that that helps a lot. It's one of the things I felt here and I was trying to seek out, you know, what this feeling might be for someone who had seen alien first. And of course, when I saw this the first time I was totally convinced that was it too. Like what a spectacular ending. Yeah why wouldn't this be the end? Like what, what more is there? Uh, what more could happen? Well, I'd never seen, you know, the double ending of alien. So um, tomorrow we'll talk more about how deeply fooled I was and how <laughs> shocked I was. But uh, I think that this moment between Sigourney Weaver and Carrie Hinn, you know, I think it seals up a lot of what this movie's about and it gives us that nice little beat that lures us away from uh, suspecting a similar ending that we got with the alien. So we are on, we land in, in the, uh, in the Bay of the Sulaco and we've got this moment where um, Ripley wants to move Hicks. She wants to tend to Hicks and, you know, Bishop very gently says, no, no, we need a stretcher. But if you notice, um, is it a reuse of the, uh, the, the sort of restraint bars with the built-in fluorescence from the APC? Because he, he she he she lifts up the bar and it's got the the fluorescent light in the bottom of it and that's what they had on the uh, on the APC. So I wonder if they're reusing that prop. Yeah, probably. And you know, no reason not to feel not to think that. Yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, there's no reason not to think that they wouldn't also have these kind of restraints in any seat on the on the on any, right on that on the drop whether ship on the dropship or on the APC. Yeah. Yeah, I just it's 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 a really cool Cameron touch. You know, the the practicality of all of the of the uh the gizmos, the gadgets, the weapons, everything in it feels very grounded in everyday gritty 
you have to be, you know, it has to be tough to stand up to use in the field kind of use. And the APC in a lot of ways feels almost like the most real thing to me because it, it, it has this sort of very tank-like feel inside, you know, red lighting and kind of that kind of combat lighting and intimacy and close quarters. And then it has the officer section. But I noticed just, I, I love the little touch of those dropship, you know, restraint bars having fluorescence built into them. It's just camera, like, it's sort of like the, you know, the built-in um, kind of dark glass goggle thing on the welder. So you can look through it. It's just, there's just real, everything feels very thought through in that sense. Like the, the world, you know, like, like we talked about in the alien podcast with the semiotic standards, everything just feels thought through. The world feels inhabited and, and populated and, and built, um, not, you know, imagine like, uh, you know, some goofy, you know, Buck Rogers in the 25th century, Gil Gerard kind of thing with a big clunky, silly plastic laser. And, you know, the, the, the hokiest furnishings that, that 1970s, you know, set designers could come up with this feels real. And that's why I think it ages so well. Yeah, no, I agree. It looks, uh, it's a good looking movie. I mean, again, you're, you're right. It, it, it's thought out in the way that alien was, um, maybe with a little bit, I don't know if it has a little bit more of a, uh, I guess not. I was going to say degree of difficulty was a little higher because of the scheduling, but then again, you had some of your work cut out for you or, or, or laid out for you already done with the design of alien. So you actually, you have the world to build, sure. uh, where they had to build the world from nothing in alien, but, uh, you have a world to build off of for aliens, but yeah, it's, it's nice. It's, I just, I feel like Cameron just, I just feel like this is, you know, this movie is so, is so much his baby. It's so all him. And he has such a penchant for the technology of it. He just, he's so, you know, whether it's, it's in front of the camera, you know, imagining this very real world that's very lived in and has devices that seem completely plausible. Uh, you know, it's not, these are not, you know, transporters or phasers or, or things like that. These things all feel very grounded in today's, you know, world, just extrapolated. But he also, you know, the stuff he does behind the camera, inventing lenses and, and different types of stuff for, for, you know, when he did Titanic, he got like, I don't know, seven patents on stuff. This is a guy who just thinks everything through with a thoroughness that I think probably leaves most other directors kind of in the dust. He may not have all the artistry of some other filmmakers, but, but I think his eye for detail has to be unmatched. It's right up there. I mean, eye for detail is also really one of really Scott's uh, strong points, but yeah, uh, James Cameron, definitely a great eye for detail. And as we've said many times, um, great with that, that really helps him as an effects director. Yeah. You know, like, uh, and perhaps better. So, you know, I, I mean, if you can swallow the CGI and, and you don't mind mm. it, I'm sure looking very closely at uh, at uh, Avatar, for instance, would be very satisfying because I imagine the detail in that movie is insane. I'm sure. You know, I'm sure. Uh, the depth of it. I just I remember that being the, the one real pleasure from that movie, seeing it and seeing it in 3D, which is usually something I don't enjoy, was that there was so much depth of detail to it. And you could feel that while you were watching. It was really actually an immersive experience. And so the, what you're talking about then plays out, you know, is really coming full circle, I guess, in that now he's creating entire, like, universes of Well, and that's film. one thing I wonder is, is how much of this is, does Cameron do himself? You know, does he, does he just say to a guy, hey, look, I want a dropship that looks a little bit like a, a Cobra gunship and a little bit like a, an F4 Phantom. And... 
I'm going to turn it over to you. Or does he sketch all this stuff out himself? Like he did, you know, the Terminator and everything and say, Hey, this is what I want. I want you to build it. I, I wonder how much of it is him and how much he actually delegates. Well, we'll see. Uh, I imagine we will get a deluge of sketches drawn by James Cameron for the pre-production of this movie. Cause I know they're out there. I imagine some people will, uh, I'll, I'll find some, I'm sure Eric will find some, and some other people. Cause there are a lot of examples of it, of him sitting down and sketching out these ideas for other people then to Après moi, le deluge. Yes. Exactly. It, exactly. It's as true now yeah. as it was then. This was uh, an awesome minute just because it is the ultimate setup. This is, this is my God. Congratulations. Here is your $300 million Powerball jackpot. Nothing else is going to go wrong. But, you know, basically don't look behind you because Godzilla is rising up from the ocean behind you. That's the kind of insane turn that this minute is setting us up for. It's crazy. And I did want to point out one more detail to sell, sell that idea is this when they reverse the shot and show the ascent of the dropship into right. space. So we get the, we get that backdrop of the explosion and the cloud cover, I assume of LV four twenty six. we get the interior of the ship. We get Bishop, you know, I guess we could talk about, you know, his, I don't know. He's just kind of relieved, I guess. And if you can, if he can be and so on, but uh, we get the Ripley Newt moment and then we cut right after this touching moment where she kisses, you know, Ripley kisses a child on mm-hmm. the cheek. We reverse to this, kind of swift ascension of the dropship into this beautiful space. Right. It's backdrop. really pretty in blue. Yeah. And it's very Spielberg yeah. to me. If it, it gives you that I, I, kind of ET feeling like it, the, the rainbow trail is going to come out the back of the dropship, you know, I uh, like at the end of ET. And I kind of feel like he's saying, look at this beautiful, it's very, you know, Spielbergy sort of way of saying, ah, everything came out. That's actually a good idea. I think you're exactly right. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I can't say he was thinking that when he was doing it, but that's the f- feeling I get from it. And it's a nice sell because, again, like from James Cameron's point of view, you have to be worried about tipping um, your hand here. Like you have to be worried. You're doing a double ending again. You have to be trying to t- pull a few of your tools out, um, you know, misdirects and, you know, tricks to make sure it hopefully nobody in the audience is calling you on it before it happens. You know, hopefully people are tricked into believing the movie's over here. So why not use a little Spielberg happy ending kind of motif to get that done? Especially at that time, it was right on everybody's mind. I think you're exactly right. And the reason I think you're right is because the score absolutely reinforces that notion. The score is very much a happy ending disaster over everybody made it kind of score right in that scene. Right as it's rocketing away from the devastation to the incredibly safe, you know, confines in the heavens, quite literally, of the Sulaco, you have this, this, just the score kind of ends on this very small, very positive, very uplifting note. And it it is something that our, our movie going reptile brains are completely trained to realize, okay, we're about to roll credits and uh, let's start picking up our popcorn. This movie was great. All right. Um, since we're in the middle of a moment here, that's going to carry on in tomorrow. Let's just move on tomorrow to tomorrow. I, um, I think you have anything else to say at all? Uh, me? No, I'm I'm finished. All right, we'll pick it up tomorrow. Okay, uh, that'll do it for minute one twenty six. Uh, you can find us at alienminute.com on Instagram at Alien Minute Podcast or on Twitter at Alien Minute Pod. I want to thank Pete and Alex for uh, 
loaning us the uh, Movies by Minute podcast idea uh, they had for Star Wars Minute, which is in full swing now, talking about Revenge of the Sith. Head over there and listen to that if you like. Uh, if you want to hear their take on the third prequel film, uh, it's it's been pretty interesting so far. So you should uh, go over and check that out. All right, we'll see you tomorrow for Minute One Twenty Seven.